0: Uh, so, the Parsha, this week's Torah portion, is called Truma. And let's say a, you can find it on. Um, 545. Thank you. 545, page 545, Exodus chapter 25. And we'll say a blessing for studying Torah. Welcome. Good to see you. Page five hundred forty-five. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, asher b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Which means, "Blessed are you, Source of Life, our God, who makes us holy with Your commandments and has commanded us to." Engage in the words of Torah. So I want to focus on today <clears throat> a really, if you, for, for Torah, for students of you know traditional Torah study, a really worked-over insight, uh, which, which does not have a single response to it, about the juxtaposition of this Parsha with the previous Parsha, and I'll explain, but let me sort of, uh, uh, let's see, work our way up to it. So, last week's Torah portion ends, take a look at, uh, if you want, at page 525 5.24 5.24 and 5.25. So remember, despite, despite these 20 pages of commentary that separate last week's Torah portion with this week's Torah portion, these pages I'm holding in my hand, the Torah text itself is, con- is, is contiguous. right? So the end of chapter 24 and the beginning of chapter 25 are contiguous, and so it's hard to remember that sometimes, when you're using this particular book, and there are all these pages intervening, okay. But the what what is contiguous in Torah is always of of interest because uh, uh, they're connected somehow. So here at the end of last week's portion, um, well, starting in verse nine. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel ascended, ascended where they're at Mount Sinai. This is after they've heard the Ten Commandments. And they saw the God of Israel, under whose feet was the likeness of a pavement of sapphire, like the very sky for purity. And yet God did not raise a hand against the leaders of Israelite. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. Wow, what a what a mystical passage this is. Okay. And the eternal one said to Moses, "Come up to me on the mountain and wait there." Uh, and just as an aside, I have to mention this because this is this is a there's a um, famous Hasidic teaching. It says, Alay elai hahara Come up to the mountain to me." Vehayesham doesn't mean wait there. It actually literally means and be there. Hey, Hashem, be there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the teachings and commandments which I've inscribed to instruct them. And the Hasidic teaching is, why did God not just say, come up to me on the mountain? Because you have to, in order to receive the Torah, you have to come up to the mountain and be there. And so this is not just a modern teaching of be here now. This is like the understanding that if Moses went up to the mountaintop but was not present, then as, you know if he just noticed the flies on his sandwich or something. <laughs> Speaking of hiking, mm-hmm. you know if you've reached you hike up to the mountain, you take out your sandwich, and all you know it's annoyed that the flies are bothering you. You're not going to receive the Torah at that moment. <laughs> um, So Moses and his attendant Joshua arose, and Moses ascended the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, wait here for us until we return to you. You have Aaron and Hur with you. Let anyone who has a legal matter approach them. When Moses had ascended the mountain, the cloud covered the mountain and the presence of the Eternal abode on Mount Sinai, and the cloud hid it for six days. On the seventh day, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Now the presence of the Eternal appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Moses went inside the cloud and ascended the mountain, and Moses remained on the mountain forty days, and forty nights, very dramatic. I love it. It's great storytelling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, a fiery, the Kavod, the presence, which is also the glory of God, appears as a consuming fire and a cloud. Okay, and that's the end of the last week's portion. And then we turn to chapter twenty-five, which is immediately after this. So now I'll go back to five forty-five. <clears throat> So apparently, this is what happens next. The Eternal One spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the children of Israel to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts for me from every person whose heart is so moved. And these are the gifts that you shall accept from them. Gold, silver, and copper, blue, purple, and crimson yarns, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, skins, dolphin skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the aromatic incense, lapis lazuli and other stones for setting, for the eiford and for the breast piece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Exactly as I show you the pattern of this sanctuary and the pattern of all its furnishing, so you shall make it. So, essentially one of the comments on this, going all the way back is, this is what God has to tell Moses, right, like what, how to furnish God's house, you know, what they should give for that, you know, now I don't mean to minimize it, because we're going to go in all kinds of directions like this. but the question is, sort of, is this sort of, is this sort of a come down? <laughs>
1: <laughs> After
0: that. At, not just the Ten Commandments. After that description of beholding God, who's very the sapphire and the, the this mountain. and eat and then the cloud and the fire and the and then it's like a list of um, of uh, for to get from the Bed Bath and Beyond or something. <laughs> you know, it, the, hey, that's the way it was called, Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, was
2: this
0: uh, <laughs> the <this>, uh, uh, stuff? <laughs> Uh, Now we have to tell Gail's story about the Grand Union. (laughs) Remember, we've told it many times. I love it so much. Um, What were you going to say?
3: I was going to say, is this the stuff they tricked the um, Egyptians into lending them as they left? We don't know. (laughs) Because it has that ring of... um, Uh, All all the booty they took out of Egypt?
0: Okay. so. I want to hold that question out there, like, what, what, because there's something disjointed about it in some way, maybe. But what that does in Torah commentary is it invites interpretation. So, so that little scene I want us to uh, uh, look into today, okay, and see what we get. Now, now I'm going to talk, talk a bunch more to help frame this for those of us who aren't, necessarily familiar with the entire narrative. And then I want to share with you some of the classic commentaries on this. Yes, Rachel.
4: When you were saying that the passage before was like, you know, a story. Yeah. You know, well, it really strikes me one thing that's different is that we see nothing of the interior life of the people. You know, the, the, well, the elders and Moses and Aaron and Joshua, we just have what they did. When? When they ascend, oh,
0: that they beheld God and ate yeah, and drank. Yeah, don't get mm-hmm. what they experienced. Well, Maybe we hear about part
4: their also the separation mm. here too. Mm-hmm. We didn't get their experiences beholding God. We then can go on to these more mundane matters in a certain sense. You know.
0: If they are mundane, that's yeah, what we'll we'll be discussing. But still, I want to point. I wanted to kind of show that juxtaposition. Miriam, what
5: I experienced is because I feel like going up and saying is like <clears throat> Moses. Basically, experiencing Hanami. Here I am. Here I am. To receive it.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: To me, when I have a very um, deep experience, to really continue it on, I need something tactile. Mm-hmm.
0: Good point. You have the experience, and then how do you how do you it's retain the experience? I
5: a contact, whether it's with the earth or whatever it is, and if in fact whether they however they had these possessions but rather than being all these possessions separate from this incredible experience that they were
2: brought into it.
0: Mhm. So who needs to get some clay out or pen and pencil or your sketchbook or your after an experience in order to integrate it and make it something that you can because carry with.
5: Is basically all their possessions were saying bring them in your experience as opposed to them being
0: separate nicely put we're going that is one of the threads that this that, where this goes that's right uh, yes Joy
6: and it begins also the idea of image that the image holds both the reality of the object the smell the taste the thing that God made God made every one of those things and then when we have to respond to them I guess the image becomes tremendous because now it has meaning. It's beyond just what it looks like. It's not beyond just a small experience. It's now fraught with symbol and meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We invest it with all that meaning. Yes. Yeah. So, for me, in terms
2: of plotline, what we've had is this whole build-up, where God has freed the Israelites from enslavement, has just said, "I'm going to do this, so you can serve me." Has not said what that means. Does say it finally when they get to Sinai.
0: Mm-hmm. Here's here's what well, here's what you have to behave and do in order to serve me. Right, mm-hmm.
2: and with the Ten Commandments, and then the long chapter on other all the things, other laws, all the other laws like of law uh, civil laws. and right.
0: civil and criminal right. and how to and, behave. Right. Mm-hmm. and then that was last week, right after. That
2: was last week, mm-hmm. and then that section, and and they're saying we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it, whatever it is, we'll do it.
0: Your we're God in. That's what it is. We're in. <laughs> and then the elders, they go they up, see. they
2: see God and the rest of them are still seeing the fire in the clouds, and Moses goes up. And this is a big question. What are they possibly going to do? How are they going to do this? So presumably, there's something here about how they're going to do it, because that's what we're being set up for. Good, good, good. Keep that out there, too.
7: Yes, Jane? So uh, in today's world, we do look at it as bed, bath, and beyond. I thought right away consumer products, right? But it wasn't then. It was like so special, maybe the first time that they had seen these precious metals or the wood, you know, it, it was like your experience walking and seeing the trees and feeling the earth, that this was really new. I mean, we have done terrible things to, to what is of the earth. But I think that then it was probably pure, pure and
0: regal. Thank you, thank you. Even, even the word "gift" Rabbi, mm-hmm. Gift. True, mm-hmm. mouth. Gift
6: always was holy, and we have made merchandising and things uh-huh. without gifts. We are that's, that's what right. we're suffering from. That's right. Th- even the old merchants, that's what they did when they went ch- exchange. And there was always a gift. Mm-hmm. There's always the gift in it, and this is God saying, "Bring me the gift."
0: Oh, and uh, we're going to we're going to. Uh, I overstated it on purpose. Uh, just to, you know, just which I'll explain why in in a little bit. But yes, I agree. The Hebrew, truma, truma, which is translated as gift, means that which is raised up. And it's the truma, 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 laharim, romamu, right. Laharim is to raise up. Truma is something that you raise up. And uh, from every person, asher yidvenu libo, Whose heart is moved to give? Le, le, Nadiv is a volunteer, so these are these are voluntary offerings. Uh, voluntary meaning from the heart. You know, this is not a tax, and it's not a. Um, uh, hey, welcome, come on in. It's not a tax. It's a it's a free will offering from the heart that you raise up, right? So. The, there's a list of what to bring, but um, it's not a required good. Okay, so now, just so I can, yes, Maria?
5: So if we look upon these possessions we have around us, yeah. these little objects, and think of them, oh, oh, okay, this is something that was created by human hands, but the product. Them in a totally different context
0: as opposed to just or right well what any of us who've created consciously called it an altar or just put things on our mantelpiece that are meaningful to us it's the meaning we invest in them that transforms our consciousness they're there to re- help us tra- they're there as reminders to help us transform our consciousness so absolutely that's all that's all true um, Mark is down here because her, she's sitting up is hard. Yes? Um,
1: this seems more than objects to me and then it's so much about color. And yes. color is not just about the meaning that we give to it because it's also about where it vibrates within a spectrum and then has a larger earthly presence than even than is subjective. Mm -hmm. And these particular colors that God's asking for, each is related to one of the sephirot. Those are very specific. So these colors. colors. Mm -hmm. And also that we we have, again, this infusion of sapphire, and then the red fire. It's like the tabernacle is meant to be this miniature of that kind of light transference. And so I think it's important also that we also don't think of these as such solid objects, but as objects that reflect and shine light
0: through them. I forgot the book I needed, um, so I'm going to paraphrase.
1: That's
0: even better. Uh-huh. Um, the Midrashim about how God God is showing Moses the plans. Right? It says, exactly as I show you the pattern, you see that in verse 9, so shall you make it. And the Midrashim says, what do you mean? How What is this Tavnit? Tavnit means pattern. It comes from both Livnot, which means to build, but also Litbonen, which means to Bina, which means to uh, reflect on and contemplate. So the Midrashim say that God... Bina? Bina. Really? uh, Well, Tavnit is not completely related to Bina, but uh, the word for thought in Hebrew, Machshava, is also the word for uh, blueprint. Uh, so concept and they're connected. Um, OK, so um, the Midrash says, what God showed to Moses was different colors of fire. Did you know this, Marka? Do you know this Midrash? Yeah, this is straight. Different colors of fire that were in patterns that Moses then had to translate into physical form, which is exactly what Mark is saying. For those of us who are tuned in to the vibrations of colors, uh, and we all are actually, uh, but for those who are, are really attuned to it, uh, uh, then everything that God is, that all the descriptions of God are colorful, right? It's a fire, it's sapphire, it's red fire, It's like, And uh, so that, um, yes, these colors are coming out of the spectrum of vibrations to have, they have power in and of themselves and meaning and value. Absolutely. Yes.
5: Also, there are in many um, schools, there are um, colors assigned to the chakras.
0: Right colors assigned to the chakras in Kabbalah colors are assigned to the different attributes of God and uh, where they, where they dwell in reference to the human form. Right right. Also music supposedly each chord relates to the planet and the color I believe that too, right. And, uh,
1: I mean the, the vibrations show the same spectrum
0: of color. Oh the vibrations of different musical chords will vibrate in the same spectrum of the same slice of the spectrum of different colors. Okay, so now this is where, you know, Rabbi Ira, Eisenstein of Blessed Memory, was not interested in this stuff.
3: Interior decoration doesn't
0: interest me. He would say, interior decoration doesn't interest me. Uh, And and Ira was an incredible soul. This wasn't his thing. That's okay. Uh, it doesn't have to be anybody's thing. You get to. Wh- holiness resonates on every level of experience, and each of us has our own um, way of tuning into it. Um, but this isn't plain old interior decorating. This is a. Is it, again, if we could somehow. Um, I guess this is why I like to go hiking. Um, if we can peel away the. Just like the. The flypaper of our materialistic culture, which says that if you have this or have that, you will then be happy, and (coughs) that so that's what life is all about is acquiring stuff, and stuff is stuff, and uh, it's really, really, it's really kind of uh, burdensome, you know. But what if you lived in a world with not so much stuff, but with a lot of time? To re- contemplate it, to sense it, to feel it, to be in relationship to it, to know it—that's uh, what natural healing is all about. That's what herbal lore is about. That's what crystals are about. That's what these are all unquan- relatively unquantifiable realms of vibration and energy. I'm not particularly tuned into them. In a, I like it. But I'm not, it's not my sandbox, do you know what I mean? I do have this, I'm, I I get, I I find God in other ways, uh, just based on, I think, my temperament and the way my wiring is. But that doesn't mean I then need to uh, dismiss all these other realms that I see so many other people, you know, deeply engaged with. Um, It can be yes and, for goodness sake. Anyhow, I mean, the world is way more complex than the box we want to put it in. <sighs> uh, so there's something going on way more than, than interior decorating here. Now, let me just lay out. The, this is so important to the Torah that this Parsha chapter uh, Truma, which is chapters 25 to uh, 27, and then the next parsha, Tetzaveh, which is 27, 28, and 29, are continual set of instructions to Moses from God on the mountain of what to do and how to instruct the Israelites and all the patterns and blueprints and how to make everything and whatever, how to do it all, chapters of it. Uh, then, and that goes into chapter 30 and 31 in the next parsha, And then it says, um, when, so that's like what, six, seven chapters of instructions. And then it said, uh, when all the instructions are done, and then God says to Moses, speak to the children of Israel and say, you must observe the Sabbath. Six days' work may be done, on the seventh day is a complete rest. Uh, For in six days I made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day I rested. Upon finishing speaking with him on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the two tablets, stone tablets inscribed with the finger of God. So all of that. And then what happens next in chapter 32 is, it says, is the episode of the golden calf says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gather against Aaron and say, make us a god we can see. And they, they create the golden calf. And then um, in that episode, Moses comes down, he's enraged, he smashes the tablets. There's a giant rebellion and uprising and uh, uh, a... Um, a uh, purge of all the people who've been worshiping the golden calf. And oh, my God. And then Moses has to go up to God and beg God's forgiveness on behalf of the people. And uh, finally, God relents. And Moses goes back up on the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights and uh, receives a new copy (laughs) of the tablets And when Moses comes down, Moses' face is radiating and uh, the forgiveness has been, reconciliation has been um, attained. And then in the next two portions, leading up to the end, all the instructions that Moses received in these, before the Golden Cap episode, Moses then delivers and the Israelites, the craftspeople, Bezalel, and all the craftspeople make everything. Moses puts it all together, and the book of Exodus ends. the The Mishkan, meaning the sanctuary for God, is completed, and the the cloud of the divine presence comes down onto the into the Mishkan and is with and is with and and it's done. They. God is in the midst of the people and the book of Exodus ends. So it's, I think it's important to have that whole sweep of the, the narrative here. So that's chapters. So the building of the... The instructions to the Mishkan, the golden calf uh, episode, and then the building of the Mishkan takes us to chapter uh, 40 and the end of the book of, of Exodus. So... Um, Okay, so here's what I wanted to lay out and then let us just sort of start playing with. Um, I'm going to need to get the book I forgot. I'll be right back.
8: Sure, with the tongue. Yeah, I guess. Does it mean to be so dimensions? I don't know.
0: Thank you. Oh, is that close? the rabbi doesn't do it. Okay. Um by the way, any comments or questions before I I continue? Yes.
5: I was realizing.
0: They needed something tangible.
5: So I was just thinking of, in today, what's the most tangible thing for our kids? Or is there machines? The machines? All their machines?
0: Uh-huh. They're the games, their... They needed something tangible for what? What do you say? They needed something tangible...
5: To hold on to, to be... To, to make it so that they could feel it, see it, whatever it was. So it's like what he's saying... Don't,
0: don't melt it down. Use it for this. Ah, okay. Good, good. So, <clears throat> we gave him direct... God
5: gave directions of how to use them as opposed to melting it down something to worship.
0: hmm Good. Yes? Yeah. So
2: I have a question. And excuse my ignorance because I don't
0: know. That's okay. Stuff.
2: Um, so in the temples today, they still have this tabernacle, right? No. They do
0: not? No. Uh, the tabernacle... Held, had had um, what, well, and then later the temple in Jerusalem, which became the, This was a portable tabernacle, right. called a mishkan, which means a dwelling place for God, or a mikdash, which means a place of holy, holy dwelling. Um, uh, contains all the objects. Like if you look on page five forty four, everybody look at five forty four, and you'll see at the on page. And uh, you'll see a diagram of the tabernacle. So the whole Mishkan was an enclosure, 100 cubits by, what, 50 cubits? That's like 150 feet by 75 feet. It was a big enclosed area um, that only the Levites and the, only the priestly caste could enter. Uh, it had an altar for. Sacrifices. It had a washing bowl, and then, in the latter part of it, there was a curtain where you entered into the uh, the the tent of the the tent itself, in which there was a menorah, a seven-branched menorah. There was a table for for bread that was displayed there. There was an incense altar that made a cloud that of of smoke, a fragrant a smoke that would. Uh, Covered the entrance to the inner sanctum, which was called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant with two cherubim that stood on each end, and they weren't, ba- <coughs> they weren't little babies. They were like these big winged creatures. Uh, and inside that Ark was the two tablets of the Covenant. And it says in our text that the high priest, Aaron, would go into the Holy of Holies and God would speak to Aaron from between the cherubim. We don't have any of that.
6: What's the thing the Torah is in?
0: That's called an ark, right? Right. um,
6: But it's not the the ark of the
0: covenant. No. That's
6: the the defense department.
0: Pardon me? It's
4: buried in the defense department.
0: Oh, the Ark of the Covenant, right, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark, right. No, no, oh, well, we, we don't have a temple anymore, and we don't have priests. The Catholic, when, the, when Jerusalem was, when the temple was destroyed, which happened twice, but in the year, in the first century of the common era, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans okay. and leveled. Right. Uh, At that time, the temple. So this, this, this diagram, was part of Jewish life for about a thousand years. When the temple was destroyed, and forgive me, you know, I guess it bears repeating. uh, When the temple was destroyed, the um, the menorah, the golden lampstand, was carried off by the Roman legions. There's a famous arch of Titus in Rome with, the, with its sculpture on, uh, uh, above, on the arch of the Roman uh, soldiers carrying the temple treasures off, including the golden menorah. Right? It, they, they looted it. They knocked it to the ground. And none of these objects were ever seen again that's where the Raiders of the Lost Ark mythology starts. Like, where is it? Where is it?
2: Yeah, well, especially mean the tablets.
0: The tablets were lost even long before then. Because the temple, there have been two periods of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. The first period, the monarchy of King David and his descendants, ends in 586 BCE when the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem Destroy the temple, and the people are exiled. The leadership of the Jews, the priests, and the leaders are exiled to Babylon. Um, that temple contained an ark with tablets inside. In other words, that artifact had been retained until that point. However, what we don't it was destroyed.
2: Okay.
0: The ark was lost. When the, when the Jews, some of the Jews of Babylon return to the land of Israel about 100 years later with permission from King Cyrus, the, the Emperor King Cyrus, they don't bring this stuff back with them. They have to rebuild the temple. There is no ark anymore. So there hasn't been an ark with tablets in it that we know of for over 2,500 years. The second
6: temple.
0: Yeah, no, since the first temple was destroyed. First temple. Mm-hmm. The second temple gets rebuilt. At that point, however, the Holy of Holies, this inner sanctum, is an empty room. There's nothing in it, except whatever's in it. Uh, And the only person who ever entered the Holy of Holies was the high priest. Um, So this whole culture of having a high priest, a meeting place where God speaks and uh, uh, ended in Judaism when Rome destroyed Jerusalem in the first century. Instead, an, uh, an alternative interpretation of Judaism emerged, which is what we know of as Judaism. We don't have a high priest. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't, Judaism went to a radical transformation at that point. And what had been a physicalized tradition becomes a tradition of literary remembrance, which is what we're doing right now. Does that help answer your question?
6: Yeah. I just feel sad because it feels like a lot of the mysticism
2: is lost. I mean, that direct communication with the the power.
0: Um, It wasn't lost. Not
2: lost, lost, but changed.
0: Right, and that's how so many people in the Jewish world feel. Uh, about wanting to rebuild Jerusalem, right? May That's where it all comes from. This is the holy mountain. This is the place where heaven and earth touch. This is, this is. So when you start to understand that, you start to understand why it's problematic that there's a mosque sitting on the Temple Mount in the very spot where the temple, of the Jewish temple once stood. Uh, we have a problem. Either we, either you know, if we get too literal, we're going to kill each other. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, did you want to say something before?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say some expand something about the importance of a temple and an extremely intentional space that includes, if we see the instructions, there's gamatria in it, there's all kinds of physical activity in it, there's a whole ritual process, and I think the temple, you know, this between heaven and earth is actually a way with the covenant that's going into very intentional items to make the items not just materialistic but have <coughs> another aspect to them so that they're both. And um, what I also wanted to say was the word keeps coming up for me I think part of the reason one wants to surround oneself with images, if one does, or, or, or as remembrances, it's like the altar smoke can remind us then of the cloud that Moses experiences. So because we're not always going to be at the top of Sinai, it's, it is this like miniature, but it's a, it's a remembrance as
0: well. Mm-hmm. It's a microcosm. Right. So. <clears throat> uh, Rachel?
4: Yeah. Um, a quick comment about the whole thing about the problem of it being a mosque on at the site. Oh well. It, it's worth remembering that it was not put there as an insult to the Jews. No, it was, it was not. Put there in reference, actually.
0: No, in what different cultures have always rebuilt built their holy places yeah. on the place where other previous cultures yeah. had their holy places. Also,
4: Al Aqsa Mosque, which is not not the Dome of the Rock, but the other one. Yes. Um, I think it's the third holiest place in Islam, because it was known that Muhammad stood there. Um, Rachel,
0: I hope I hope I didn't imply in the oh, no. slightest you did. that that the the mosque the mosque is there as an act of like uh, oh, no, infamous aggression or that, something like that. that. Was just adding, yes, adding yes, but that. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to go there in this class. Yeah. Okay, uh, hell. Yeah. I was just thinking that the case could be made that the
2: reason that you still have Judaism was loss of those things in physical form and the diaspora of the Jews throughout the world, and they carried the, the idea with them. Right. And the, then maybe, maybe had, because it could have all been destroyed and if everyone was still there,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it could be all right Yes, 5,000 years later. A very strong and case
0: can be made that the, that the fact that we could turn this into a storytelling remembrance, and make Judaism portable, as we did, is part of the key to our survival. Absolutely. Uh, Jane?
1: So I
7: wanted to comment on what she had said about the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, because we don't know, uh, it would be interesting to have studies side by side um, to see what... What their uh, why is that gold? What are, what are their colors? What, what is their history?
0: absolutely? Absolutely, okay. there was so much interplay between so Islam comes into existence in the seventh century, okay? It didn't exist before that, right? We're talking about uh, 600 years earlier, 1600 years earlier, right? So, um, and uh, but. We know from. Look, my assumption is that human beings are attuned to all the different levels of reality that exist outside of, in other words, independent of our ability to perceive them. That means that there are um, cultures all over the world feeling the same vibrations. Okay? I consider them to be. In some sense, laws of nature, and uh, and so obviously, it's my from that perspective, it's my assumption that every culture is through its own cultural metaphors, ways of describing things, language, getting at the same um, uh, um, associations that this text is getting
9: Does at. That go for the
0: Taliban. Um, What station are they tuned to? Okay. No. In addition to the laws, these being laws of nature, I also believe, as a Jew, that there's moral law inherent in the order of creation, and humans have an astonishing capacity to ignore that. Okay. Okay. I'm talking about those who are attempting to attune themselves to these subtle vibrations of creation. That's a different thing than claiming oneself to be the arbiter of good and evil. See, but I don't, can we stop there for a minute, please? Please. Please, I want to get back to the text. All I meant to say is that that's a holy mountain in many cultures, and that creates problems when cultures feel like they have to exclusively claim it. Okay, That's all there is to say. I told her to say please, Jane. This is nothing. Uh, this okay. is a
7: separate thing that I wanted to. Uh, yes. Um, so I grew up with the the ark
0: that we have. Yes. And the the splendor also of the
7: um, the synagogue, and um, then I uh, got married and, and I lived in a, a Quaker place place, and um, their house of worship. Was amongst the trees, and with nothing, just the bear and the spirit was there. It was such a, I don't know, a revelation to me. It was like, oh, where is everything? But it was there. We felt that presence.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Of course you did. Of course you did. So.
6: See, the, 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 we are all of us living that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like how do we make how do, where do we live at that point and so we flow from one thing to another to another and if we're lucky we dance with it and if we're lucky there's a still point.
0: Yes, so I want to take a stab at uh, articulating to you what the different Jewish traditional takes are on this juxtaposition that I opened the class with, and then what a Hasidic spiritual take is on it as well. If we don't get there, I will. I will. Um, uh, 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 I will go with the flow. But there's something I'm trying to get to. So, um, and again, if this is your first time here in a long time, there is kind of a. You have to kind of rot, You have to roll with us because this is a fairly. Um, Um, complicated form of interpretation. So let's see what happens. Um, So Rashi has a famous comment on this section. Rashi is the commentator who digests uh, rabbinic tradition and, and offers it in a very digested form from the 11th century. Rashi says Ein mukdam there is no before and after in the Torah meaning chronological order does not necessarily pertain when you're studying the Torah and so Rashi then claims, he makes what is a very counterintuitive claim, he then claims following the Midrash lots of Midrash, lots of uh, rabbinic writing, uh, Rashi claims that um, uh, these instructions that Moses is receiving in chapter twenty five don 't re- are out of order. Moses actually receives them after the golden calf, which on the face of it makes no sense. and why is Rashi saying this? whereas someone not, uh, another scholar not too far removed in time from him, commenting on him, named Ramban Nachmanides, says, no, 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 this is the order it should be in. Ramban's rationale makes a lot of sense. He says, here, let, me, let me quote Ramban. Uh, in Ramban's reading, The Israelites have been transformed by their encounter face-to-face with God. Uh, And they've entered into this covenant with God. And now, um, Ramban writes, now because they've experienced God, they are fit for a sanctuary for God's presence to dwell among them because they have attained this status of being a holy people. And so the first thing God commanded was to build this Mishkan, this dwelling place for God's presence that would be in their midst. So it's a token of transformation for Ramban. After the revelation and the covenant, they, the children of Israel have become fit vessels for the presence of God. Um, and uh, he continues to describe that the Mishkan is supposed to be a microcosm, a version of Mount Sinai that they can carry with them in the wilderness. Right? It has um, uh, this this inner sanctum where Moses is now on top of the mountain, well, on top can also be deep within, right? It's a, you can picture it as being an elevated space or an internally deep space where the high priest representing the people of Israel, just like Moses represents them on the mountaintop, can go uh, and uh, be in the presence of God. And there is fire in front of the Holy of Holies in this golden menorah. And there's incense which creates smoke. And so, and there's the table of bread. The bread, is that the meal that they shared on the mountain as they ab- witnessed the glory of God? So the idea is that for, for Ramban, this is a natural and appropriate next step for God to say, okay. Let's I'm going to create this this symbolic microcosm of what just happened on the mountain so you can take it with you. And it God will be in your midst as you travel through the wilderness. And here come the instructions. And then the golden calf happens. Uh, where the people simply they they were they were all really feeling great about Mount Sinai, and then they freaked out. And they said, no, 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 we can't. We, they couldn't remember the experience. They needed a god they could see. They said, make us a god we can see, because that man, Moses, has not come back yet, and they just completely flip out. So that's, that's the Ramban's trajectory. Uh, um, Rashi, quoting the Midrash, says that, imagine... That rather the Torah text is um, split screen, like meanwhile back at the ranch, you know. Just because the narrative is has to go is two dimensional and linear, uh, but don't imagine it that way. Imagine that Moses goes up the mountain and the people immediately start flipping out. Immediately, uh, and you know, Aviva Zornberg loves to quote. Winnicott, the, who talked about um, object permanence and attachment theory, and you know, as soon as mommy leaves, they start, they can't remember anything. Uh, so, um, so Rashi's take and this whole stream of Jewish thought take, which is counterintuitive to the narrative, makes sense. It's like, now, now we'll make a house and this little portable sanctuary is that God then sees that these people need a physical reminder. But that initially, it was, let's see, to put it this way, it was God's understanding that they wouldn't have to carry some physical reminder with them. What, what do you need that for? Uh, they just experienced... this most transcendent experience and hmm? so what are they they they, they got it they're holy they don't need a reminder and so this is the kind of story that happens all the time in Genesis which is that God thought God knew what humans could handle (laughs) and is continually caught up short and disappointed by the human beings right and then has to so the the reason God gives the Torah in this in that narrative, God is not infallible. God is experimenting with this creature who's both got who's got all these physical limitations and uh, uh, challenges, and uh, also has the divine spirit implanted within them. Right. So in that narrative, uh, God is once again taken aback by the fact that while just waiting for Moses to come back, the people can't even remember for 40 days when they were just at Mount Sinai. Before that, they just saw the Red Sea split. It's like, hey, you know, what's it going to take? And so once again, in this reading, the Mishkan is a concession to human limitation. I found that to be interesting. Um, and that, that, uh, and then when you read it that way, the Midrashim that Rashi quotes, rather than comparing the Mishkan to Mount Sinai, which I think is very valid, compares it to the golden calf. That, OK, you need, a, you need a something? You need a golden something? OK, I'll give you a golden something. Give me your gold. And then when you read these instructions, everything, the ark is overlaid with gold. The, the, uh, the, the, the menorah is made of gold. Everything's gold. And inside, the holy of holies, and this is the most important thing, the ark is overlaid with gold inside and out. The carrying poles, the cherubim, are overlaid with gold. And it says, and God will speak to you from between the cherubim. So what, the way Harviva Zornberg articulated it so beautifully is that OK, you can have all your gold, except that all this gold is going to do, rather than be your god, it's going to frame the empty space where god dwells. That's the still
6: spot. That's the still spot. That's that empty spot. The empty spot, spot, right? Where god has, every, has everything.
0: So let's look, just so you see what I'm talking about, why they feel that way, look at uh, page uh, 546 continuing in chapter 25 yeah chapter 25 verse uh, let's see we're up to about verse 17 you shall make a cover of pure gold we're talking about the ark that's going to hold the tablet two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide And make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the cover. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. Of one piece with the cover shall you make the cherubim at its two ends. The cherubim (coughs) shall have their wings spread out above, shielding the cover with their wings. Cherubim with these winged creatures. Um, They shall confront each other. The faces of the cherubim being turned toward the cover. So picture this ark, which is also known as the considered to be the footstool of God's throne in Jewish imagery, which contains the tablets of the covenant. And on the cover of the ark, which isn't that big an object, there are these two cherubim facing each other with their wings shielding the cover and? Place the cover on top of the ark. After depositing inside the ark the pact that I will give you, there I will meet with you and I will impart to you, from above the cover between the two cherubim that are on top of the ark of the pact, all that I will command you concerning the the Israelite people. So, it's all gold, and where does God speak from? From this. Space. This 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 negative space, this in that the gold is surrounding. So Rashi in that line of thought uh, says that God makes a concession. Because but the concession isn't that you shall have a God that you can see. But I will but I will create all these objects. So, you can sense my presence dwelling among you, not just sense it, but have objects that remind you of it. Um, I thought this was really, really interesting. Yes, Rachel?
4: So, I'm uh, picking up this whole theory of modern physics at all times exists simultaneously.
0: Would you say that again, please?
4: There's a theory in modern physics that all time exists simultaneously.
0: There's a theory in modern physics that all time exists simultaneously. I, so yeah. this, I've
5: been saying that years. Yeah. 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 This would
4: be in the mind of God. So in the mind of God, God knows that they're going to make the golden calf, and they're going to have to be punished for it, etc. So God ahead of time tells them the plan for what will be, in a sense, the real version that they should have instead of the golden calf. So I mean, Good. It's what Rashi is saying, but it doesn't have to be before
0: and after. Right. So the Hebrew term it's is ein mukdam umilchar Torah. There is no k- chronology. Uh, how do you say mukdam umilchar? There is no before and after. There's no and, real
6: cause and effect. It's all. There. Right.
0: That's what. That is the rabbinic principle of mm-hmm. understanding the Torah, which uh, which is that there's no cause and effect. The the the. The chronology doesn't exist in that sense in the Torah. It's all one thing, and it's all, and that's why thinking of it as a dream or as a, a consciousness, conscious, all those ways to think about and it.
6: Physics uses consciousness now as the ground of being. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> huh. Uh huh. Uh
0: huh. Yes. Go on, and then Marka. So,
4: so there is, I mean, there is cause and effect. It's just that it happens simultaneously.
0: <laughs> wait I mean, we can say that as Rashi is saying I guess Rashi
4: that God tells us tells him to build the mishkan because he knows he's going to do the golden calf so that's a cause and effect mm-hmm. but also it's not happening it's happening at the same time mm-hmm. so God can do these structures ahead of time the
0: thing about the same time is that we're talking about different different um, uh, um, angles of perception yeah. In our life, time is passing. Life is linear. And yet, when you're studying Torah, you're looking at it from a a different view, as it were, where somehow it's all happening simultaneously. Somehow what was meant to be will be and all of that. And one is not negate the other. Um, uh, Marka.
1: I'm seeing like two split screens possible here in this interpretation with both the golden calf and uh, the tabernacle, but also mishpatim and the the rules, and then we get these very physical rules about building the tabernacle, and in a way it's these two different models of portability I feel, I guess, because the rules that's God that God is giving for the people. I mean, it's golden rule, you know? It's golden rule, and so they don't have to have that locus. And I, I'm trying to reach for something, but I can't remember enough about Winnicott and object relations. but the idea of, you know, of, that we've just said how problematic it is that we, we have these attachments to one place. I mean, the vi- there's like a violence inherent in that sort of attachment in a way. Yes. Right? And so isn't this a great mercy of God to be giving us both the portable rules of conduct and the portable magical object so that we don't have to, so that we can spread out?
0: Uh, this is, yes, I want to say something about that. So I'm, I'll remember it while I hear what Deborah and Miriam want to say.
1: So it seems to
8: me we're always getting thrown by thinking of a physical representation as the thing, mm-hmm. rather than the thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for, we probably all experience that you know you have, um, oh, oh, you were talking about your mom, like you love your mom, and that love fills you and inspires you, and then the physical representation of mom is gone, uh-huh. and then we're called uh, to, find that inside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So Freud said that um, uh, we are a sum total of everything we've ever loved and lost. So developmentally, and Winnicott talks about this, to so said developmentally, that's our task, to um, love the physical representation, to cherish it, to see it as connected to God, and ultimately, because we lose all of that, to be able to internalize it and have that be uh, the deeper thing that we hold on to.
0: Nicely put. Nicely mm-hmm. put. Yeah. Thank you. Miriam. Just
5: well, just funny be around another way. Because I was thinking of, as a child, if you go back to Winnicott and Margaret Mahler, <coughs> of it, we give a child an object, a sense of. Parent or someone gives a child an object to hold on to when the parent isn't present. We call it a mm-hmm. transitional object. Right, whether it's a teddy bear or a blanket or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But taking this even further is that now, going through my wife's possessions after she died, I have a scarf that I gave her. I have all these objects have history, mm-hmm. so it's bringing back the memories. That I have, and the object is whatever it is, but it's the memory from what you said. is that memory, and so it's interesting is that I felt that the the angels and the cherubim,
0: the cherubim, cherubim.
5: Cherubim. There is a space in between where the golden calf is solid. There's no spatial uh-huh. as oh, also. Cool. It's yeah. like also with um, that sense of ethereal as opposed to something mm-hmm. that's tangible, that we know what a cat is, but what are these, Jeremy? <laughs> so it's like takes our, our experience broader and deeper.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully. And yes, thank you. The... the, 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 the um, commentary about the cherubim, because they're, it says specifically that they're facing each other. That's what the Hebrew says, and, and the rabbinic tradition loves this because this is about a meeting, right? And it's called the Tent of Meeting. It's about an encounter. So the Midrashim then tells stories about the cherubim that when Israel is not behaving in a holy way, connect, the cherubim turn away from each other. And uh, that uh, when when God and Israel are connected, the cherubim are um, not just looking at each other, but actually, if you snuck into the Holy of Holies, would be in an erotic embrace. I mean, it's just like such great storytelling, isn't it? So uh, yes, the cherubim, this image of these two cherubim protecting with their wings looking at one another, and it is out of that space that the voice speaks. It's pretty, pretty evocative. Helen, uh, and then Rachel. And... Doesn't God just see that these people
2: are offered this home and how easily they turn back to worshipping false idols, which is always what he has said that's out. Yeah. And so he's offering them something much more fantastic than a calf, and say, I'm offering, this is what I have to offer And I think it was somewhere else in the, in the Torah
0: where our God was stronger than the God of another people, and they turned to our God because our God had, shown victory. What had victories and was more powerful. So people were easily mm-hmm. swarmed,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. so he just needed something really great.
0: Mm-hmm. The difficulty... Uh, the, the, only, the, only, the only monkey wrench in that story is that none of the people who are giving their gold for this Mishkan ever get to actually go into the Holy of Holies. They only hear it described, only the high priest. So there's something, it, it's not quite heat. This is even cooler than your golden calf. It's, it's something, it, it doesn't quite scan, even though that often does happen in the Torah. Um, uh, I was thinking about that and wondering about that that uh, um, uh, that God is like, but but it does seem, whether it's concession or an or, a, or just an understanding of human nature, uh, God gives them something that represents God's presence in their midst, and that is this. That is this Mishkan. But it is
2: described to them. They know what's in there. It's right? described to them. Yes. So makes
0: it even more fantastic. Oh, because it's, you, that it's hidden, right hidden, but... It's glory that's in there and God is in there with it, so I think it's like, you know... Forget okay. That, forget that chaos, you know, that's nothing. All right, right. all right, good, good. Uh, uh, Gail and Marka and Gary? But they
2: do see, the, uh, they do see, the only thing they don't see is the Holy of the Holy of Holies, they see the rest of
0: it. Um, they, they see... And they, they made it. They, the people made, made it, right, right. From the outside, they're not, they're not allowed in, only the Levites. What about the courtyard? The, the, where the um, I'm not 100% them. clear about that. I'm not sure they get to see the courtyard where the altar is. I suppose they get to see it. in the second temple. In the second temple. I'm looking at the descriptions of the, the Mishka. Yeah. Saying, but what,
2: I was, what I was going to say was that what's coming, and which if you want to say it's all one, and there's no time, I don't care, but... Um, <laughs> But what's coming is that the Mishkan which is where God kind of dwells where there's a, the easiest way to get to God, kind of to connect is in this place. Um, it's also going to be the place where there are all kinds of ceremonies in which again and again we rededicate ourselves to following all of the commandments to serve God in other words. So it's not just that it's a place that's empty and nothing much is going to happen there It's the centerpiece for the rededication again and again of the Israelites. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you.
0: Yes, I think I'm crystallizing what how I wanna uh, 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 what I wanna articulate, Gary.
9: Well, in the uh, in the story of the golden cap, there seemed to me to be a counterpoint, and I wonder if Midrash attaches to it at all. In that you know, God is the all-powerful one. That if we look directly at Him, it's history for us. And the golden calf story is about the bad Israelites looking for a a physical representation. But the calf is a symbol of vulnerability. It seems to me, and uh, the weak, and 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 the the hurting part of us. And it seems to me. That embedded in this story, the golden cap is something beautiful. That the concretizing of our, our most vulnerable parts and paying homage to that is not just bad in violating a law. Don't uh, don't sit down before objects. There's a, another message there that there's something beautiful. It seems to me about a people's willingness uh, to do to search inward for the most vulnerable aspects of themselves and, and give voice and to concretize that. Well,
0: well, that's fascinating. I have never encountered that interpretation of the calf. I personally, this is the first. I've never heard it described that way. And uh, certainly, the text itself does not view it in that light, uh, but as a betrayal of the insights and the, the, that they received. Okay, I hear you. That was I Uh Just to s- was say something to that. Yeah. One. So, I mean, if we say that, like as Rashi says,
4: it's a cause and effect, or like backwards in a certain sense, or so God's anticipating that.
0: Anticipating, yes.
4: What Gary is, is saying could be seen as like God would see that the, the Israelites will attempt to get somewhere and do it in a really bad way. <laughs> and so God, ahead of time, is setting up the Mishkan to do it the right way.
0: Yes. 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 But They want to tend to do something genuine, not uh-huh. just be, you know, bad uh-huh. and disobedience. I like
4: that. Yes. Uh-huh.
0: Marka, and then Gail, and then Martha.
1: I mean, if we think of almost the Israelites being born through the shock and the Red Sea, like as a sort of birth process of the Israelite people, I think it's like we have to remember that there's a childlike aspect to the Israelites at this point. And I just want to point out that, you know, of all the different kinds of angels, some of which are really terrifying, the Caribbean are like, they're putti, they're children, they're the most youthful of angels. And also it's almost like a doll's house in this sort of miniaturizing. So I do feel like there's something very,
0: Young about this. Can oh, oh! Look, we're gonna play house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. We're okay. You need a calf. You need okay. You were just born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life's big. Yeah. Life's big and scary. Yeah. Um. Let's yeah. build a house.
1: Let's build a dollhouse. Let's
0: build a house and put in beautiful miniature versions of what you just experienced on Mount Sinai. And you can play with it. And bring
1: the least intimidating angels that are around.
0: Well, titirabim. That's a. That's actually cherubs. Is a, where the putti and the cherubs. It's very confusing in the in, in in Renaissance art. What's going on there? Why these baby these baby things got called cherubs? Because nothing in 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 uh, ancient uh, and classical depictions of cherubs makes them. Makes them uh innocent or babyish. They're fierce.
1: They're fierce, but I would still argue that the gold and there's other things that point to them being youthful compared to like you know the the wheels uh, and the, you know the like those those are older. Like the, there's a sort of youthful accessibility still. I think. Okay. I don't know. I, don't
0: know. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know. There's a lot I don't know, but I do <laughs> like that. I do like this story we're starting to tell just out of our. Hour going back and forth about um, um, I'm, i uh, about building a house for God yeah. um, uh, that where we meet God in this house in this in the middle of our camp right. and uh, something that that and the kids need to play and practice the right. kids need to practice and play and do that, and that way you can build you know, again, if you're following the, the sort of developmental and, and psych, psych, psychoanalytic model, you know, develop a sense of, by playing a sense of how to be in the world. Yeah, that's very interesting, very interesting. Uh, I'm sorry, other people had their hands up. Martha, did you want to um, say something?
3: Well, I, I have such a uh, vivid sense that I have seen this some places. Is, is there a museum that has made a model of, of this uh,
0: um, the place where there's a model of the Mishkan that I've seen is in Israel. Yeah, a well, Christian I'm, group uh, financed oh. building a scale model of all of this.
3: You mean a big one? A big
0: scale? No, no, you have full scale. Wow. Oh, you're I, thinking I of have, I don't well,
3: know. I must have seen pictures then, and the Perhaps. pictures were a little, maybe. so I thought it was okay. maybe. Okay,
6: thank you. That's maybe, right. Joya. There's a lot of sacred geometry in that. And that's one of the things about it, is that if you're looking for permanence, you've got to be very delicate. You've got to really know to look for permanence. There's no permanence. The thing is, it's about flaws. And that's why the golden calf can be something more than what it appears in a fixed story. Because the story moves as our consciousness moves. So that the question is the thing. The way to be is not to arrive at a dogma but to do something else. And that's called life. And it's also called actually love does suit that. When you talk about love, you're talking about someone who knows a little bit more than you do. And there you are in the flaw. And they allow you to do this and that, but not that. Or maybe now it's this and not this. And so love does deal as a way of being with a lot of the issues of wanting dogma or wanting it definite or wanting it gold. What's wrong with gold with nothing? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with, with lapis lazuli? What's wrong with dirt? Mm-hmm. You see, and it's wonderful when you start seeing that power doesn't mean just one kind of power. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Here, I want to share a couple of thoughts. Yes, what did you I find? Think it's not
6: involved
2: In that? Bethlehem. Just a just a per- transition of touristy things. Oh. <laughs> so when I was in Bethlehem, they, there was a gift shop, and in the, in the window they had uh, menorahs and crucifixes and the Last Supper and little...
0: Little, re, little representations <laughs> of the <laughs> ark.
1: Little gilts uh-huh. of the uh-huh. So, so that, you
0: know, that you know, makes you know, me think you know, of, a whole, of a whole other thing, Ellen, which is that <laughs> every, every holy place I've been, whether it's outside of a mm-hmm. cathedral or it's in India fun. outside of yeah. the Kali temple, yeah. or whether it's in Jerusalem, is filled with kitsch. You know, uh, yeah. well, souvenirs. It's like, is it people want a representation yeah. of, of it. That's what we want, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So there's a couple of thoughts uh, that I want to try to uh, think out loud. Um, so Marco was speaking before about how the previous portion, Mishpatim, is all about the laws you need to follow, and these are laws about interpersonal behavior, uh, civil law, criminal law, how you're supposed to treat other people, how to treat people fairly, how all of that in order to be a holy community. So whole, the, remember, the instruction to the children of Israel is that if you follow these commandments, you will be a holy people. This, whatever this means, a holy, holy means a community in which God's presence can dwell. Asuli Mikdash, make me a holy dwelling place and I will dwell in your midst. And this holiness actually has to manifest on many different levels. Right? It manifests in the interpersonal realm. Right? If you don't treat other people as, uh, um, do, as children of the divine, uh, then holiness cannot manifest in your society but holiness is also in space in in physical space that now you have to also create a physical place that you will treat as holy that you will give you know you'll will, that will where you will where i you can feel my presence in the physical space and so they kind of can complement each other um, how we behave with one another and than this idea of there being a holy mountain or a holy place. The Hasidic tradition, the Jewish mystical tradition, it's older than Hasidism, talks about holiness manifesting in three realms, uh, olam, nefesh, and shana. So in space, in time, and in one's own soul. So again, not to go too far in that direction, it's this understanding that in time holiness manifests on, holy, in, on Shabbat and holidays, that there's holy times. In space, there's holy temples, you know? And in the soul, there's holy, what? Making yourself a sanctuary for God, which, uh, uh, which we'll talk about more in, in a few minutes. Uh, the other place I wanted to go was, so what we're looking at here, as we unpack the rabbinic debate that I kind of tried to lay out to you is the philosophical question about human beings. Do we need representations of divinity in order to remember our connection to God? Right? And it depends really I think on your personality uh, where where you come down, you know, come down on that. Some would hope, some of these commentators would hope that, gosh, what do we need all this stuff for? Why can't, why can't we just walk with God and be aware at all moments? You know? And people of another ilk will say, what's wrong with having reminders uh, that help us remember? You know, what's wrong with icons? What's wrong with altars? What's wrong with any of that stuff, especially... And then, so, so that's, that's the debate that's going on. I want to add to that the, the level uh, that Marka reminded us of earlier, which is not only what's wrong with it, maybe it's profoundly right because of the relationship for those with the subtle ability to, to perceive it between physical objects, colors, vibrations, and uh, holy energy. You know, What about the continuum that is the universe from energy and vibration into physical form constantly oscillating between them? Why wouldn't we want to create physical objects that attune us to these more subtle and finer vibrations of existence? Uh, Yes, please.
1: Um, not to oversimplify, but I'm seeing this also so much as like left brain, right brain, bina and Hochma consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. So if we think of Mishvatein um, and the rules and the interactions as the you know the left brain analytical mind, then ah. we think of, you know, Hochma. It is mysterious. It's visual. It's colorful. It's not. It hasn't gone into the understanding of the analytical left side yet. So it kind of, I don't you know, it's, it's like the place for experimentation.
0: Let's talk about right brain and left brain uh, in the way it's commonly understood, which I find help, very helpful to me as I organize my experience. Uh, because uh, left brain is linear, causative, uh, uh, and uh, allows us to...
1: Relational, comparative...
0: Uh, Comparative, and so all the laws of the previous portion about how you're supposed to treat each other, what the damages are if you injure somebody, um, how you're supposed, all you know, how how to create a a a society that abides by a standard of justice, you know, so that you can count on being treated fairly. These are all uh, uh, left brain activities, one might say, whereas the right brain is associative. It's artistic. It's global. It sees the it's poetic. It sees the connections between everything. What it's if? Majestic, it's hmm? it's a majestic. It's unitive. Unitive. What if?
1: And I also just thought of something too. It's mm-hmm. it's preverbal, and it's like, why does Moses keep saying, you know, I can't talk, I can't talk, and then he's extremely eloquent. <laughs> you know, I mean, because there's something in Moses that still is within that Hokuma consciousness that isn't, you know, a full brain yet. There's something really liminal in that space.
0: So what if all of these beautiful, beautiful things, gold, silver, copper, blue, purple, crimson yarns, linen, goat's hair, ram skins, acacia wood, spices, aromatic incense, Precious stones, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. What if those were all? What? What if that's all about? In the biggest sense, beauty. You know. What if you can't have this, these laws, as some kind of mm, um, uh, cut and dried? Like if we only just follow the rules. What if it just that's not what makes us fully human. What if we need this and we need beauty? We need this evocative, associative, a sort of inspiring, um, uh, curiosity invoking, uh, all of that. Maybe, that's all, maybe all this beautiful stuff is for that part of our being and that we need it as much as we need the other, and that the debate, it just has to be a yes-and conversation, not an uh, either-or. That's uh, interesting stuff to contemplate. Yes?
8: Except that I think there's a danger that we see all the time, like money's cool, but as soon as you think money's God, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so the danger, and this is how I see the the golden calf thing, is... Cool, make it golden calf, enjoy it. But as soon as you think that's God, you've crossed the line. So I think we have to think about, even with, as soon as you think that the rules are God, you've crossed the line. As soon as you think any of that, that to me is what it means to be worshiping false idols.
0: I am Yudhev your God. Yes. I am the. Uh, the source of life, your God, who brought you out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, do not make an image of me out of a fixed image of me out of anything. Um, so that. So I'm hearing the whole Ten Commandments, right? Uh, in what's going to be the uh, check on our. Um, n- on our almost irresistible tendency to try to fix the answer in in a way that we can say now I've got it when when god's name is i am becoming
6: that's it i am
0: becoming and yeah and then the after that it says do not take do not swear falsely by god's name swearing is a way of saying you know I, I know, I got this. I got and then the fourth one is, is absolutely just as important which is the Sabbath day. Every seventh day no making no, you know it's, it's you're not in charge. Remember, remember the seventh day and make it holy. Remember. So uh, I feel like what you're saying to me inspires me to to understand the Ten Commandments as the core instructions uh, against our natural uh, tendency to want to fix, try to fix reality in a way that we feel we can uh, be in charge of it and control it.
3: Oh, thanks for connecting
0: that. That's great. Uh, you're welcome. Yes, Martha.
3: So I've been considering um, the power of connecting objects And I met a woman at a party who was wearing 11 necklaces, and I admired them. And she said, this is my ambulatory altar.
0: Ambulatory altar. yes,
3: she said, this one reminds me, and she was wearing a Jewish star, and she was wearing something else, and she explained them all. And I liked that notion. It inspired me to put on my own mother's wedding ring, which has been sitting on a draw in a box for 70 years and to wear it. But it also reminded me that my daughter, when she was maybe 18 or 19, kept on um, messing up her driving tests. And finally, maybe the fifth one, she made an altar in the backseat of the car of important childhood objects and things that were important to her. And she wanted both her parents to come, but we weren't to say a word. And we took her to this driving test, and she aced it. Um, So
0: So did she talk about... Was this a conscious thing she was doing? Yes. Mm -hmm.
3: Yes. What a crazy story. And she said so. And it was just interesting to look over what what the important things were. I don't remember. So Um, she was creating an altar
0: for her coming of age as a driver in some way.
3: And to have important objects with her in the car as she went to this event. I mean, this is a longer story. You know, She um, had failed a lot of tests because she did not want men to give her orders. And as one man said, go left, she wanted to go right. But like, unfortunately, this, like, this fifth person was a woman, and I thought it was going to be OK. <laughs> what a
0: great memory. Thank you, thank you. Yes, Rob? What I see here is a uh, sort of a, a, a meditation on
9: uh, solidity or fixity and mystery. And these things nice are words. In, they're sort of in opposition and in, in synergy with each other, right? Because we're, we're getting the solidity and the fixity of the tabernacle, right? Every detail is in place. But then we have this whole other part of it, which is all the lapis lazuli and all these other things, which are really to create an atmosphere within the fixed tabernacle of mystery, mm-hmm. right? Of unknowing. So it's this sort of—it's the smoke. It's—it's it's literally like the smoke and mirrors, and it, within this, you know, this very defined space where nothing is left uh, for for imagination, and then the holy of holies is a space where. Everything's left to imagination, right? You're, you've got smoke, you've mm-hmm. got lights coming mm-hmm. out, you've got incense, and so they're 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 sort of in balance. Um, anyway, that's just an observation.
0: That's beautiful. the The Jewish tradition generally considers the mishkan <coughs> to be a concession by God to humans' need for a physical something. But uh, that's how it's generally understood because. And this may be because of the very masculine and male nature of the, you know, the fact that these guys writing this tradition are all men. And they're, like, uh, uh, they're philosophers. And they, you know, why can't we all just understand? And you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But based on our conversation today, I'm not even thinking of it as a concession. Uh, you know, at all, but rather as as a beautiful, beautiful uh, kind of part of the whole that allows us to, uh, as I was saying, to to have our our our, our full experience of 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 um, uh, subtle and associative and artistic and causative and casuistic and other stuff. It's like all of it. We want all of it. Anyway, that's one of the things I'm thinking about. Gail? Well, I, I think this is already but Another way of saying that is
2: um, it's all, everything in there is the glory, the material, the glory of God in the material world. Okay. And at the same time, the utter mystery of God.
0: It's right. So we have to remember the right. prohibition against idolatry. We can only do this if we remember the prohibition right. against idolatry. Right. Uh, as a, act of consciousness, right, uh, that we remember that that's not God, that's not God, I'm not God, you're not God, uh, that
2: but it all expresses,
0: God's But all expresses, it all points us. Yes, thank you. Okay, Rachel?
4: So something's been running through my mind through much of this. It seems like it's to appropriate question. Nice and loud. Uh, yeah, uh, so we were talking about time not being necessarily sequential in the Torah, and I was looking at a picture, diagram of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, and how precise it is geometrically and measurements and everything, and sacred geometry. But it struck me that I wonder if you were the, the priest, you'd go inside, it would be bigger on the, out, in the inside than the outside. Oh,
0: like Doctor Who. Yeah. 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 Do you all know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, do- not everybody. So Doctor Who um, uh, is a time lord who goes, you know, in this British series, who goes around through time helping humanity, and uh, his, um, and now it's a woman, the new doctor who's a female, um, uh, a Vessel is a British toll booth. Phone booth. Phone booth, phone yeah. booth I mean.
2: Police
0: call box. Yeah. A call box, <laughs> that's right. And on the outside it's this big, but when you go inside it's. It's,
1: it's bigger yeah. on the inside yeah, than the vast. It's, yeah. it's bigger yeah. on the inside. It's than vast
0: the on the inside. Right.
4: Rooms upon rooms and chambers upon chambers.
0: Yeah, chambers upon chambers. And one
4: other thing about it so, in Doctor Who, when the Doctor opens up the center of the the yeah, what's visible is the time vortex. Right. The the basic essence of time. Right. And it's something nobody could look on but him or her. Wow. And that's similar to the Holy of Holies. Yes. The high priest, no one could look on it but the high
0: priest. Right. And the high priest had to make all kinds of preparations in order to go in there. It says, when you read next week's portion, uh, a lot of the high priest's gear, this incredible vestments, are so that when he goes into the Holy of Holies, he will not die. Uh, and so clearly, these are all kinds of spiritual preparations. You know, you see what you're talking about next week. Uh, um, I'm sorry. This is
6: just uh, what you're saying. Yeah. And he has to be so in tune with reality or with appropriateness that he cannot ask for himself that's right. Mm-hmm. The high priest for cannot that ask. He wants. Nope. No way. And then he becomes—he's no longer useful.
0: Really right. Because he
6: hasn't really been in the place of yeah. appropriate. It's all
0: possible, mm-hmm. whatever, but
9: it has to be appropriate.
0: One more, one more comment, then I want to take you to one more interpretation. Yes.
9: Just because this the phrase sacred geometry keeps coming up, I wonder if anybody knows the sing, sting song, shape of my heart. It starts out. He says. I love this. He said, it's about a card
0: deal. About a card?
9: Card deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, he plays the cards as a meditation. Oh. The sacred geometry of chance. Mm-hmm. The hidden law of a probable outcome. The numbers lead a dance. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a terrific lyric.
0: Your yeah. mastery of lyrics is <laughs> such a pleasure. Thank you.
9: The shape of my heart. Shape of my heart. Shape of my
0: heart. I've never listened to the lyrics, I know the songs. Okay, now I want to go in one more direction with a few minutes. So if you look at page uh, 545 at this very famous line in verse 8 of chapter 25, which we've talked a lot about, about a lot over the years, it says, if you look at verse 8 it says, and let them make me a sanctuary, the Asuli mikdash that I may dwell among them, that I may dwell among them. God is saying. Now, the interesting thing about this language is, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell. Tocham can either means among them, in their midst, or within them. It can mean either. Toch is within. Toham also could mean amongst, so, so, this becomes another opportunity for another another direction to go, yeah. which is to make ourselves right. yeah. this quality, so that God can dwell within us. That's the level of nefesh. So uh, there's time and there's space, and then there's the internal dimensionless. Uh, you know, uh, so. Um, with that verse in mind, the Sfat Emet, who's a Hasidic teacher from around the year 1900, not that long ago, from Warsaw. Uh, um, the Zohar says that at Sinai, Israel was prepared to have God bring down the supernal temple above for them. The supernal temple is, the, is that that energy template that we're trying to recreate with our physical form here. It's what God is showing Moses. God is showing Moses the supernal temple. It doesn't exist in physical form. It exists in energy, in fire of different colors. It's a, um, but um, uh, So to bring down the temple, uh, as will happen sometime in the future when as it were, when we have perfected ourselves. Uh, But their sin of the golden calf caused caused them to fall from this rung. And so the Shekhinah could only be present for us in its tzimtzum, in its reduced form, in a form that our sinful, sort of messed up perceptions could handle. And so... Uh, that becomes the earthly Mishkan, the earth, the physical representation. But there's this idea that we were ready at Mount Sinai just to become, you know, have have that right within us, and then we lost it with the golden calf, right? So then I'm going to go on a little bit. Um, uh, I'm going to skip a part of this. Israel at the Red Sea felt themselves to be vessels ready to have the Shekhinah poured into them. And thus they say in the Song of the Sea, Ze'eli van Behu, this is my God, and I will enshrine him, meaning that I will make myself into a shrine for him. Uh, But after the sanctuary, you have to make me a sanctuary. After the golden calf sin, you have to make me a sanctuary. I can't just, you yourself can't handle this. You can't handle the truth. You know <laughs> you can't handle. You're not ready for this. So, um, okay, and then this is where he goes with it. In fact, this refers to the distinction between weekdays, when the revelation of holiness comes about through physical deeds, and the holy Sabbath, when the light is revealed spiritually. So this is what he wants to say. Now in time, every Shabbat is an opportunity to recreate ourselves being sanctuaries of the divine presence. Um, It's hard during the days of the week when we're busy doing. So that's why there's a single day each seven to remember how to be a vessel for the holy light. Um, then, Then there's this midrash that he tells. The midrash says, I love this, that the Torah that God gave him Mount Sinai, was like a king's daughter who was about to be wedded to a faraway prince. Her father said that he couldn't stop her from marrying, but he couldn't live without her. So he asked her to make a small hut for him next to her new home so that wherever she might be, he could come and dwell with her. I love this. So... um. Uh, this is like, so So, uh, previously Israel had been intensely attached to God in a direct way. In other words, child to parent. Afterwards, as they descended from this rung, Scripture says, let them make me a sanctuary, a little chamber that I might dwell in their midst. Mm-hmm. I just love that storytelling because it's like the parent saying, I just want to, you know, I know I have to let you go, but why don't you just make me a little mother-in-law apartment? You
2: know? <laughs>
0: so that, Anyway, but this might also refer to the mitzvah of tefillin. Now, tefillin are the prayer boxes that religious, uh, many religious Jews wear when they're praying. Yeah. Each tefillin is called a bayit, which means a house. Oh. So it's a little house. Oh. Oh. Inside the tefillin are scrolls that have the most important passages from Torah written on them. So that's, why, so that's what they're called. They're called houses. Uh, they contain special little houses in which holiness dwells. The divine names in those tefillin parchments draw holiness to the person. Uh, and uh, the Zohar says that let them make me a sanctuary, a- sanctuary actually refers to the mystery of tefillin. Um, these inscriptions are really written in the innermost souls of Israel, for the Song of Songs says, "Set me as a seal upon your heart." And so we wear. If you're a traditional, uh, Davener, you wear tefillin six days a week, but on Shabbat you do not wear tefillin. That is why the rabbis say that on the holy Sabbath, Israel themselves are the sign and need no tefillin. So again, he's doing a riff on Shabbat that we have the capacity and the Holy Sabbath is our opportunity to be the house of God. Um, On the Holy Sabbath, the light of Revelation is restored. Something of what it was like, a taste of what it was like before the sin of the golden calf. We are told that on Shabbat, Moses returns to Israel, the crowns they had received at Mount Sinai. Um, and that is why it says that you, after all these instructions about how to build the Mishkan, but on the seventh day you shall do no work. So he's tying it all together. Um, do, you cannot, the building of the Mishkan, anything we're doing out there to, has to stop on Shabbat so that we remember that none of it's worth anything has no value unless we ourselves have made ourselves into dwelling places for God. Uh, that we ourselves are the sanctuary that God can dwell within. And that's true, too. That's not so, we have to work. We don't. We, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a kind of consciousness that we have to practice. Uh, that is why the work of building the Mishkan was interrupted on Shabbat. Um, this excludes the build the the commandment. So you can't even build a holy thing on Shabbat, for on the holy Sabbath there is a revelation of holiness, like that before the sin, and no need for shrinking God's presence into a little house that we're practi- a symbol uh, that we're practicing to remember with. So six days of the week, because we are who we are, we need the symbol. But one day a week, don't build it, don't put on tefillin, don't, no, practice something else. You have this sanctioned day if, you know, where you're not required to labor, so you can become a sanctuary for the divine presence. Yes?
4: So, something about the Sabbath, about Shabbat. So, in the wider world around Israel, the ancient world, the seven days of the week related to the seven planetary spheres. And so Saturday is Saturn's day. It's the outermost planet, which is a planet of limitations in death and time. So Judaism transcends or even reverses that by saying, no, this is the place of no limitations. This is a place beyond time, beyond death, beyond limitations. It's just a really wonderful yes, right. Play of you know, the Jewish revelation against the wider... Mm, that's right. That Saturn, Saturday would
0: be Saturn's Day. hmm mm-hmm. It's two o'clock. <laughs> Thank you for uh journeying with me again. Thank
7: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.